How many of you have ever stolen before? If so, can you count on your hand the amount of times in which you did? Maybe you need two hands. Maybe you need two hands in somebody else's hands. Do you remember where you were when you stole the things that you stole? Do you remember the things that you stole? For most of us, it was a, um, it, 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 it was or it, it has been memorable moments because it's not something that, that you necessarily do every day or you seemingly do every day. In fact, it's so infrequent like murder that, that some of you watching may be asking, is a sermon on stealing even necessary? I know not to steal. Why are we talking about you shall not steal? The answer to your question, however, is yes. The, there, is a, there is a sermon here that is, that is necessary for us because like all the other commandments, there is much to learn in this commandment. You shall not steal. We are in the home stretch, um, if you will, of our series on the Ten Commandments. And the final three commandments, as we've discussed before, um, are, are tied back to love of neighbor. The first four were tied back mainly, they're mainly about God, how we view God and how we worship God and how we love God. And the last six are mainly about our neighbors, how we relate to our neighbors and how we treat our neighbors and how we love our neighbors. But as we have discovered over the last couple of weeks, even those commandments about neighbor return back to God. And this commandment is really no different. This, this, this commandment, you shall not steal. This morning I want to ask a few questions. Number one, what is stealing? Number two, why does stealing matter? Number three, what is the remedy and solution for the thief? First, what is stealing? Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines stealing as to take something without right, with an intent to keep. To take something without right and with an intent to keep. Stealing is a lot more extensive and expansive than armed robbery, for example. We know that, of course, armed robbery is bad, but stealing can manifest itself in a host of other ways because it is simply taking something that does not belong to you and with the intent of keeping it. You see, stealing is not necessarily about value. The severity of punishment may be associated with value, but the idea of stealing in and of itself has little to do with value. What we often do when we talk about stealing is we try to rate stealing. We try to apply levels to stealing. We try to apply weighted values to stealing. And in so doing, we try to undermine, diminish, or even erase the sin of stealing in our lives. You, hear, you, you might hear it said, I mean, sure, I claim dependence on my taxes that aren't really my dependence. But I'm not running with Ocean's Eleven or anything, right? I mean, I'm not pulling off some grand casino heist. Just because I claim my nephew who doesn't 
live with me and I don't care for her just because I've given my daughter to someone to be claimed who doesn't care for her and take care of her. I mean, yeah, I plug into my neighbor's cable, cable, cable uh, connection, and yeah, I buy a few bootleg movies here and there, but, but this, ain't, this ain't inside, man. This ain't Den of Thieves. I'm not performing some extravagant grand bank heist just because I did those things. Here's what's interesting about stealing as a commandment. It's how hard we work to try and disqualify the value of a thing in order to justify our stealing of that thing. How hard we work and how hard we try to disqualify the value of a thing in order to justify our stealing of that thing. However, the act of stealing is simply taking somewhat without the right to take it. Or I'm sorry, the, the act of stealing is simply taking something without the right to take it with the intent to keep it. That's stealing. And truly, we all understand this. We know that that value doesn't necessarily um, signify whether or not a thing is stolen or not. In fact, we connect with this idea at, a, at, a, at, an, at an instinctive level. Think about the lessons that you and I teach our children. When you go into a store and your child reaches for an item, a toy car or a pack of gum or a soda, what do you tell them if you have no intent to pay for that? Put that back. Why? I mean, it's only a quarter for a pack of gum. Toy car probably only costs a dollar. The soda costs two bucks. Why are you so worried about it? If it's not that big of a deal, the value doesn't necessarily, the, the value diminishes the act. Why, why are you so worried about it? Well, you, you know, intrinsically and instinctively you know that no matter what a value is, a value is assigned to it, that a thing that you do not rightfully own is not yours to take with the intent to keep. You don't tell your child, well, it doesn't cost that much. Go ahead, kid, and put it in your pocket. Let's get out of here. It's not what you tell them. You say, no, put that back, no matter what the value is. We know that it is not right because we know that it is wrong to take what does not belong to us, even in the smallest amounts. Stealing is also not necessarily about an object that we can actually touch, you see, stealing can be the taking of intellectual property. Stealing can be the taking of a person's ideas. Stealing can be the taking of a person's research. Stealing can be the taking of someone else's writings without giving them credit, otherwise known as plagiarism. All of these things are considered stealing because it is taking something that does not belong to us even if it is in someone else's head rather than our, rather than our own pockets or rather than their pockets. Stealing is also not about force. Some of the largest crimes of theft in our generation, in my generation, were anything but what we would call strong-arm robberies. Some of the largest examples of theft took place in offices, behind laptops, with no force exerted at all. Enron was a... Big, emerging, uh, uh, um, big 
energy company back in the early 2000s that was caught red-handed, as they say, cooking the books, forging their, their, account, their accounting information and putting in false data. Their CEO spent 12 years in prison on counts of fraud, 12 counts of fraud and conspiracy and insider trading and other counts, other charges rather. Enron's investors lost over $70 billion as a result of this crime. Enron's employees also lost billions in their retirement and in their pension funds. This was stealing, regardless of the absence of force. Bernie Madoff was charged in 2008 for cooking the books of his investment firm and defrauding his investors of over 50 billion dollars. He was sentenced to 150 years in prison. And not once did he put a gun to someone's head and said, give me your money. But this was stealing. Martin Luther, the great theologian, once spoke of this kind of theft, and he called them gentlemen swindlers or big operators, far from being picklocks and sneak thieves who loot a cash box, they sit in office chairs and are called great lords and honorable and good citizens, and yet with a great show of legality, they rob and they steal. You hear that? With a great show of legality. In other words, it looks official, but it is crooked as all get out. Small or large, small or large forceful or non-forceful, material or immaterial, stealing is taking something that we don't have a right to and keeping it for ourselves. Stealing isn't even always about what's legal and, or illegal in, in the culture. Take, for example, pharmaceuticals. Studies have shown that it costs companies, for example, less than $30 to make an EpiPen. But they charge over $300 each in the U.S. In Australia, $37 for one. 300 in the U.S., $37 in Australia takes less than $30 to make. They, of course, the folks, and the, the makers of EpiPens were called in by the Congress to discuss their price gouging tactics. But even if they got no attention from Congress at all, and even if it was considered A-OK by U.S. officials, it still wouldn't necessarily be considered biblically and morally right. One theologian again rightly cites Martin Luther in discussing these more complicated examples of, of stealing. He quotes Luther as saying that we violate this commandment whenever we take advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him. Did you hear that? That we violate the eighth commandment. Whenever we take advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him. 
You know, the Bible helps us make sense of this in several places. One such place is Leviticus chapter 6. I ask you to turn there with me. Leviticus chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 1 through 3 to start out. I want you to keep your finger here in Leviticus 6 because we're going to come back a few times and refer to this text. But beginning in verse 1 and reading through 1 to 3, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord, by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. Notice what's being said here. Deceiving neighbor in a matter of deposit and security, a.k.a. Bernie Madoff, Bernie Madoff, whichever one it is, Robbery, that's what we're familiar with. Den of Thieves, Ocean's Eleven, Inside Man, you know, heist, bank heist, stick em ups in convenience stores. Oppression. This can take the form of stealing a person's labor, shortchanging them for their work. See, oppressive stealing can be simply paying someone an obscenely low amount of money for a job. It can be exploiting people that, have, that don't have knowledge regarding right wages. Or it can be exploiting people that may have right knowledge regarding what's a suitable price, but for all sorts of reasons and, 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 and other, for all sorts of different reasons, they, they're charging obscenely low amounts of money for their job. And instead of us saying, this is way too low for you to do this work, can I at least give you something else? We say, oh, man, that's good. We keep searching them out, knowing that the amount of money that we're paying them is obscenely low. That's the kind of thing that takes the form of oppression not paying people. Of course, we have historical examples of that in our country. Just taking the work. Or even finding a lost item and not returning that lost item. In fact, this is what the Lord says about lost and found in Deuteronomy chapter 22. He says this, verse 1. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep go, going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. In other words, it is not a blessing when you find something of value, 
without at first at least making some attempt to find the owner. I'm not saying that that will always be possible. For example, if you find a $20 bill in the middle of a public square and you didn't happen to see who dropped it and nobody is around to claim it, that may in fact be a different matter. But having $1,000 show up in your account by accident due to some sort of banking error, and then instead of reporting the error, you hurry to withdraw the money before anyone notices, and then you yell and you proclaim, the Lord has blessed me with $1,000. No, the Lord has not blessed you. You are stealing. Deceiving a neighbor on investments and deposits, robbing a neighbor with aggression or with stealth, sneaky, oppressing a neighbor, or simply not returning lost items to a neighbor are all considered stealing. And the Lord groups them all together. All of these offenses run together. They carry the same aroma of exploitation and taking advantage of another and lying and cheating and destroying someone for our own financial benefit. They are all stealing just different types. Doesn't matter if it's white or blue collar. Doesn't matter if it's theft by force or theft by con. It is stealing. And consider stealing by the Lord. All right, so that's what stealing is. Real quickly, why is stealing bad? What makes it such a terrible thing? When we talk about the story of David and Bathsheba, we often describe the affair in terms of some mutual, consensual relationship between David and Bathsheba. But what we fail to understand is the dynamics of power at work in this story. The king possessed all power, and a, a woman with Bathsheba, a woman like Bathsheba, practically possessed none. A man like Uriah, in service to the king, practically possessed none. When the, t- when the, when the king summoned for this woman, it wasn't like this woman really had a choice in the matter. In fact, when David is confronted about this relationship, about this affair that has has brought so much chaos and disorder into the kingdom, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he uses an illustration. He uses an example, but he doesn't use an illustration or an example that highlights sexual immorality. He uses an illustration or an example that highlights the type of theft uh, theft that we just walked through in Leviticus. An oppressive ruler with many sheep taking one sheep from his poor servant. He says, so, and he says, so are you, David, and your taking of this man's wife. In other words, Nathan says, David, you have stolen this man's wife. And how does David view his sin of stealing? 
Psalm 51 and 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. In your judgment. David realizes his theft, theft of this man's wife is against a holy God. Stealing is ultimately an offense to God before it is an offense to anyone else. Stealing shows contempt for those created in the image of God and given his provision. In other words, when we steal from others, we declare that they are not worthy of what they have been given. And God is not wise and or God is not good for giving it to them. Stealing is showing contempt not only for those in which we steal from, but stealing is showing contempt from the one who gave them that which we stole. This is why God gives harsh words to thieves. Micah chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, beginning, or rather verse, uh, yeah, beginning in verse 1, it says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. It shows a contempt against God which is why God deals with it so harshly. But it's not merely showing contempt against God. Let's look at Leviticus 6 again, verse 1 through 3. It says again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. I want you to focus on the words breach of faith. A breach of faith. See, stealing... It's not just a matter of contempt, but stealing is a matter of trust. When we steal, we are making a declaration that, God, I do not trust that you will provide. God, I do not trust that what you have given us is enough. When we add that extra child as a dependent on our taxes, we are making a declaration that, God, I do not believe that you are watching over me. Thus, I must work through other channels in order to have the provision that I need. I must chart other courses in order to have the provision that I need. 
When I go to my job and I shave the numbers in order to have a little bit, it is a declaration that, God, your provision is not enough. It is a breach of faith. You see that. You know, Tim Keller talks about the ideal of the, the struggle of money and, what, we're ch- and, what, and what, what is it that we are challenged with when we are dealing with money and struggling with money. And he talks about two things in particular, one being security, that, 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 when, we, when, we, um, that when we say cook the books or when we do things that are illegal or when we hoard our money, it is a matter of, it's often a matter of security. I feel like God will not take care of me. And so I have to go, I have to choose alternate roads and alternate courses in order to be taken care of. But he also says that, it's, that, that another thing that we're struggling with in those hours and in those moments is significance. We convince ourselves that money brings us significance, which is why we look for more money. Because with more money, we are telling ourselves that we have more significance. Less money, less significance. And that's why we, fill our, we, we have to fill our bellies or we, we have to fill our cravings and our appetite to get more and to do more and to go more. And each trip has to be a little bigger than the last. Each house has to be a little bigger than the last. Each job has to pay a little more than the last. Each, each, each everything just has to be bigger and more. Why? Because I've wrapped my significance in that. And that's how we start cutting corners, right? That's how we start cutting corners on our taxes. That's how we start cutting corners and, and doing things that we should not do. That's how we start cutting corners on our job and, 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 and being more cutthroat on our job to get the next position. Because we've told ourselves that we have to get it at all costs. Why? Because our significance is there. It's a breach of trust. It's a breach of faith. It's saying, God, you are not enough. God, you, you, you have told me that you, that you find that you've given me significance, but that's not, that's not enough for me. Psalm 62 and 10 says this. It says, put no trust in extortion. You hear that? Put no trust. Listen to the language. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. This is language of faith. This is language of trust. This is language of reliance and dependence. This is why why stealing matters. All stealing. Even stealing from God. Malachi chapter 3, will a man rob God? The church says, Lord, what are you talking about? How have we robbed you? God responds in tithes and in offerings. And we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty about the the tithe and the 10% and whether or not 10% is for today or whether or not 10% was an Old Testament uh, law and and, and to be applied in the Old Testament and, and all of those different things. We can argue and debate over all of those things, but here's what we cannot miss. That God expects us to be sacrificial in our giving. That he expects us to pour back into his kingdom work. 
in that when we do not pour back into his kingdom work, it is again a breach of faith. He says, well, a man robbed me. Now we're talking about not just robbing from men, now we're talking about robbing from God by hiding our finances. Why? For the security that we crave. Or why? For the significance that we crave. I can't give to you, God, because I got to get some more stuff. Or I can't give to you, God, because if I give to you, what's going to happen to my 401k? Or what's going to happen to my retirement? Or what's going to happen to this? Or what's going to happen to that? Now there are seasons, saints, and I get it. There are seasons where we are in struggle. And we've cut everything. The only thing left that we haven't cut is the bills. And it's because we can't cut it. And I get that. And I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the seasons where the cupboards are full. Where we have more than what we need. And we still hide our checks. We still hide our wallets from the things of God. We still hide our checks. We still hide our wallets from the mission of God. Supporting missionaries, helping and aiding, not just this church, but churches, helping and aiding, not just this church, but the poor and those, the least of these among us. Remember the the great saying that says, hey, you show me your wallet and you show me your, your calendar, then I can show you what you value. There's so much truth to that statement. It is a breach of faith when we struggle with our finances. It's a breach of trust in God. How do we fix it? What's the solution? What's the solution? Look at verse four of chapter six, Leviticus. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent. For a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. Notice what we see here in in this text. There's, There's two efforts towards restitution. One is a restitution with neighbor. A getting right with neighbor. God says in order to get right with neighbor here in this text, according to the law, you should restore fully what you have taken and add 20% interest. But he also says you should offer a sacrifice, a guilt offering. Because again, what? It is not just contempt for neighbor in which this stealing displays, but it is contempt for God. And so you should offer a sacrifice. You don't write corruption that comes from theft, or theft, oppression, deceit, or cheating by simply ceasing the corruption, in other words. You don't just say, I'm just going, okay, sorry guys. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. Stop him. No, you write the corrupt act by ceasing the corruption and then bringing restitution to the ones that you have wronged. A great example of this is the story of Zacchaeus, isn't it? Luke chapter 19, 
We read of Zacchaeus, the, the, story, the story reads in verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through, talking about Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to, Zacche- said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone, and, gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love the fact that Zacchaeus says, if I have defrauded anyone, I will return to them fourfold. When you hear that, you should think about David, King David again. Why? Because when King David was asked by Nathan, what should this man, how, how should we deal with this man with all of these sheep who, have ta- who has taken the one sheep of his servant, David said, he should restore him fourfold. David didn't realize that he was the one who had stolen. But here Zacchaeus sees it. He says, if I've defrauded anyone, then they will, re- they will get back fourfold for what I have stolen from them. And, and don't forget this and don't look past this. Half of my goods I give to the poor. That's important. Not only do we learn what restitution is here and how it is connected to true repentance, but we learn that the opposite of stealing is not merely to stop the stealing, but it is to be generous. Zacchaeus, after his encounter with Jesus, doesn't only feel the need to return back what he owes with radical restitution, he immediately realizes how much he has hoarded that he could have shared. That's the opposite of stealing. What has happened here? I'll tell you what's happened. As Zacchaeus looks at Jesus, what he found significance in changes. Now he realizes that all that money I had or I have, I don't need that much money. When he looks and he gazes at Jesus, now all of a sudden, the money that he thought he needed, that he thought he had to have, is no longer as significant. The security that he thought he had to have, no longer as significant. The need to to oppress, the need to, uh, to, to, to deceive and to con others out of their money, to cheat people out of their funds. As a chief tax collector, don't want to do it anymore. I want to make this right. Why? Because he has looked upon Jesus. 
And he has seen ultimate value. He has looked upon Jesus and he has seen and appraised ultimate worth and ultimate, ultimate significance. And now he says, I don't need what I thought I needed. I need him. I need to be with him. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, we hear this from him. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, do you, do you hear the transition? It's not just from stealing to stop stealing, but it's from stealing to generosity. It's stop stealing things you have no right to to start working so you can give what is rightfully yours to those in need. You see how we sometimes stop, right? We, we, we say, okay, I'm not stealing anything from anybody. And we stop there. I'm working and I have a right to everything that I own. Nobody has a right to this. This is mine. And we hoard and we collect. Why? Because that's where our security and that's where our significance is. But when we rightly gaze on Jesus, all of a sudden, generosity pours out. Why? Because we see ultimate value in him. Why? Because we see the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And now out of that thanksgiving flows and pours out generosity. Now, I ask the question again, how many of you have ever stolen before? <laughs> yes. Yes, we have all stolen before, and probably far more than we actually acknowledged at the beginning of this sermon. We have stolen in ways that we hadn't calculated. We have, we have stolen in ways that we haven't thought about. We are all thieves. But what's so beautiful about just that acknowledgement is guess who Jesus was hung on the cross? To his left and to his right stood what? Thieves. And there was one thief who, like Zacchaeus, saw ultimate worth, saw ultimate value in the Messiah, no longer, no longer carried significance in what he possessed. No longer thought that, 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 that what he possessed would carry security for him. In fact, he knew it. Why? Because he was facing death. Whatever money that he had stolen, whatever money he had collected, it was all for naught in that moment. And it was in that moment that he looked to the Savior and he said, remember me. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. He realized where his hope should rest. He realized where his faith should rest. He realized where his trust should rest. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When he said it, the king turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Meaning that all thieves that say, remember me when you enter your kingdom. All thieves that declare him as the Christ shall find rest with him in his paradise. Yes, we've stolen. Yes, we are robbers. But the good news is that we have a king 
who will remember us if we cry out to him. And I pray and I ask that you would cry out to him today, that you would ask the Lord to receive you by faith, that you would ask the Lord to save you through the death, death, through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and intercession of his son, through the life of his son, that he would forgive you of all of your sins, cleanse you of all unrighteousness, impart his Holy Spirit in you, and that he would do that through the faith through faith, that you would trust him, and as a result of trusting him, you would gain him and gain eternal life. This I pray. Let us pray.